0: More salad, a lot more salad, a lot more salad. This morning, I want to talk about something that uh, I told you we're going to do it in reverse. We talked about the woman last week. We're going to talk about the Pharisees this week. We're going to look really at how Christ dealt with them, how they dealt with the sin in someone else's life. And then ultimately, uh, how the church also should respond in these situations. Uh, So if you have your Bible, and you are able to stand with us for a moment, let's stand and read from John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives... And early in the morning, he came again into the temple area and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and began teaching them. Now, let me say this before I continue to read. At this point, Jesus has been rejected by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the teachers of the law. They've already rejected him, but we still find Christ doing what Christ does. And that is showing up no matter how people feel about him. He was doing what he was supposed to do. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman. ...caught in the act of adultery. And after placing her in the center of the courtyard, they said to him, "'Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, or such women, uh, what then do you say?' Now they were saying this to test him, or another way would be to trap him. So they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with, with his finger wrote on the ground... When they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin amongst you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and they began leaving one by one, beginning with the older or the older ones, and he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the courtyard. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now uh, go from now on. Do not sin any longer. Uh, Father, we are so thankful this morning that your son handled the bullies. He did it in such a way that good came out of it. He did it in such a way that a woman came to trust him. Father God, may we as a church have the same compassion and grace that Christ showed in a moment like this. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Religion has been used throughout the years as a method of hate being being disguised as love, being disguised as loving God and doing certain things. But the truth is, it has been used to hate. I'll give you a few examples of how we do it in church today. Uh, When we pray for someone, um, some reason we feel that when we pray for them, we have to share all of the details that are not ours to share. That is, a, that is a method, in my opinion, of hatred. Uh, you you want to embarrass someone. You, you want others to know how horrible someone is, so you share with them what all they're going through when simply a name would do. Um, other ways that we use things in, this, in, the, in our uh, world today uh, is when we use the Bible to accuse others of things that we feel are worse than what we have done. When the truth is, the Bible says, none are righteous, no, not one. Uh, The Pharisees, the Sadducees are going to bring before Christ this woman who they had caught. But what I want us to first recognize is the fact that Jesus teaches. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He is doing exactly what God had sent him on this earth to do, and that is to, to teach others of who he was, what his purpose is, what he was doing. And the Pharisees, well, we know how they are in the sense that they are just full of hate. They have already come against Christ. They have tried to catch him numerous times, and they can't do it. And the, the, the more they try and the, the the less success they have, the more hatred they have towards Christ and anyone who is following him. So as we read this, I want us to go in and we're gonna look at a few of the words and we're gonna talk about what those words mean and why they're important. In verse three, it says, now the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery, All right? So the first word we're gonna look at is the word caught. She has been caught. Well, how do you catch somebody in the act of adultery? You gotta walk in, you gotta know what's happening, you gotta get an idea of where they're at. Folks, if, this, if if I need to spell out for you, I will. They had set this woman up for failure. And they were going to set her up in order to set Christ up in a bad situation. They had to have personally, according to their own law, the way it would work is you had to have multiple witnesses actually see this take place. And those witnesses had to be the ones to bring the accusation. So, therefore, if the Pharisees essentially were bringing the accusation, what does that tell you? They had to be the ones to catch them in the act. Why? For what reason would they do such a thing? Why would they set someone up like this? Why would this take place? Because of their hatred for Christ, because of their hatred for anyone who followed after him. So they were willing to put a woman in a very bad position. And notice, they don't talk about the man. They just bring the woman. But By the way, it it takes two for that to happen. And according to scripture, by the way, both were responsible and both had to be killed. Did y'all know that? But in their mind, we don't want to talk about the man. We won't talk about the woman, the lesser of the two in their mind. So they've been caught. They did something. They they watched it in the act and they brought her before Jesus, but they did not bring the man. And they caught her in the act of adultery. Well, <clears throat> Scripture is very clear on a few things, and I I want to read them for you, if if I can, for just a moment. Leviticus 20, verse 10 says, If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. That's what the law says. Now, their accusation is that just the woman, correct? That's what they said, the woman. The woman. But according to the actual scripture, it says that both should be put to death. And then Deuteronomy 22, 22 through 24 says, If a man is found sleeping with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who slept with the woman and the woman, so uh, you shall eliminate the evil from Israel. If there is a girl who is a virgin betrothed to a man and another man finds her in the city uh, and sleeps with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death. The girl, because she did not cry out for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall eliminate the evil from among you. The law is very clear, but what they have done is, just like a lot of us in church, we have picked the scriptures that we like and we've thrown out the ones that we don't like. I get this all the time, brother Tom, why doesn't the Bible change according to our times? Because God's word doesn't change. That's why it doesn't change. We don't get to accept what we like and and throw out what we don't. The Bible is very clear. These men that have brought this accusation against this woman, they're first of all, not even right. In what they're doing. They set her up in order to set Christ up. And they have brought her as witnesses of adultery. They have done this thing. And according to the scripture, if it's truly adultery, both of them should be stoned. But they only bring the woman. They only bring this one because, well, she's weaker and it's easier to just bring her there. And unfortunately, let let me say this. A lot of times we're like this in the church. We find someone that's done something worse than us, and that's when we ask for prayer. When the truth is we're just using it as an opportunity to do what? Somebody tell me. Gossip. We're using it as an opportunity to talk about someone else. But we, we, we disguise it with a prayer request. We, we, we put it off as a prayer request, but the truth is we want to make sure you know all the details. I don't see anywhere in scripture where it says if I'm going to pray for somebody, I've got to share every little bit of detail that I know about them. The Bible's very clear here that, that this woman was brought in adultery, was called in adultery. But again, we can tell that she was set up by these men. Then we also find this, that they don't even bring it correctly before the Lord. But yet they put her in the center of everything she's been caught now she's in the center of the room everybody's paying attention to her they have pointed out her sin and they have put jesus in a position to where he has to make a decision and and they're hoping that he will mess up they're hoping that he will fall our when we use um someone's sin against them when we use it against them be careful because you and i may be the ones that eventually pay the price They put her in the center of the room for everybody to see and they start spouting off the law that by the way was wrong. And then we see Jesus do something. Verse number six says, now they were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. Because if he said, yeah, let's stone her, all of those people would have that have been trusting him, all of those who had been following him would have looked at him like, wow, what happened to this man who was so full of grace? He would have broken the Roman law as well had he stoned her. But Jesus does something. He stooped down with his finger and he wrote on the ground. You ever wonder what he wrote? Can I tell you, it doesn't matter because it doesn't tell us. Like We have no idea what he actually wrote. We have no clue. I've actually sat in sermons where preachers were confident that they knew what he wrote, so they shared it. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, they know the scripture better than God. We don't know what he said. We don't know what he wrote. We we don't know. We can speculate, but what good does that do? We don't know what he did, but in true Jesus fashion, he knew exactly how to handle it. He writes down something on the ground, and and they continue. They persisted in asking him. He straightened up, and he says to them, he who is without sin among you, pick up the stone. Now, I love this part, and I'm going to tell you why. I have been guilty, and probably everybody in this room has been guilty. Well, if that ever happened to me, I guarantee you, I'd be the first one to stand up and do something about it. And then when it happens to us, we become cowards. We forget all the things that we talk big and bad about, and we don't actually follow through. These men brought the accusation. Therefore, they had to be the ones to stone her because they're the ones who saw it take place. How about that? Let's say that we decide to stone her. Go ahead. You brought the accusation. You called her in adultery. You pick up the stone. But Jesus prefaced it by saying, if any of you are without sin, well, guess what? What happened at that moment? And and it wasn't just what happened in that moment, but it was how it happened. The Bible says that the older ones Walked away first. Maybe it was because the older ones had lived long enough to know, ooh, if we're going to start pointing out sin, I might need to walk away. So real quick, just to show the younger, children, younger people in our church how awesome you are as believers, I would like to start with some of the older ones to come up on stage real quick and share all of your past sins in life. And I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I want to hear them, right? No, you don't. No, you don't. Because while it may make you feel good for a moment to think, oh, that person was bad. Remember, none are righteous. No, not one. So what we find is the oldest walking away and then afterwards. So let's look at this again real quick. She's caught in adultery. Okay. They put her in the center of the place so that everybody can hear how Jesus is going to respond. They spout out the law, which was broken law, it was not the correct law. And then what did Jesus do? Jesus did what Jesus always does He showed grace. Brother Thomas, she was guilty. That makes grace even more beautiful, doesn't it? <laughs> that makes grace even more spectacular because okay, she was guilty. She had been, even though she was set up, even all it doesn't matter, she was guilty. But but Jesus shows up and and, and grace comes with Christ. You know what, you know what Christ didn't do? Christ didn't start spewing out the lies and the sin of the Pharisees and Sadducees, did he? What he did, he even showed them grace by letting them walk away. I doubt they understood that. But he actually showed them grace by letting them walk away. You and I are usually not that kind, are we? Think about it, when we fight with our... I mean, when we have intense moments of fellowship with our spouse. Are there usually a lot of accusations thrown back and forth? Or is there always, oh, sweetheart, I am just going to let you know that the way I'm feeling at the moment, it's probably best that we not speak. Right? Is that normally how that happens? And and as a matter of fact, sweetheart, I, I feel that it's best that tonight we put a partition up between our sides of the bed because it's unbiblical to go to bed angry together. So let's just agree to sleep on one side and you sleep on the other and we will not discuss this any further, amen. No, normally there's one accusation thrown across and then there's another accusation thrown back across and then there's more accusations until there's an all-out war and fight. And then finally, somebody has to come to their senses and show grace. And my wife is pointing. Uh, did you just point at yourself? Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes, yes. Because I was going to say, I mean, we all know how gracious I am. Um, I was worried about lightning there for a minute. Okay, we're good. We're good. We're moving forward. Here is grace showing up. Jesus could have used this opportunity to just flat out blast these men who've already denied him, who he's already had issue with, but instead they walk away. Now he focuses upon the woman. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Here's what has to happen in our world today. You and I have to be full of grace. Quit focusing upon what people have done and realize their great need for Jesus Christ. Yes, I get it. There are people that do not look like us, act like us, talk like us. And one of the reasons that our church is not growing right now, and if you get upset about this, I'm sorry, but one of the reasons our church is not growing right now is because we are not able to see the true need of what is out there. If we were, we would be sharing the gospel with every person that we meet. Because the true need of our world today is not more politics, it's not more... uh, Immunization—it's not more money. You can print all the money you want, and you're just going to get deeper and deeper in debt. Trust me. Go look at the go look at the deficit in our in our in our country. You can do all the crazy stuff you want to do, but folks, if you're not showing the grace of Jesus Christ, you are missing the point of your life. In two thousand and twenty twenty two. The baptismal waters, I pray to God, are used monthly, weekly. And not by my hand, but by your hand. By you sharing the gospel, by you sharing your faith. Bringing people to a place of commitment. Because we have shown grace. Grace. Folks, there are a lot of sick, sick people in this world. Would you agree with that? And I get it. You're like, I want nothing to do with those people. But can you imagine if those sick, sick people came to know Christ? What a transformation the world would see. How does that start? By us showing grace. Matthew eighteen, we read something uh, that I think is so important uh, for us in this room. Even within our own church, when people walk out, when people leave, because you're going to have that. There are going to be people that are going to mess up. anybody in this anybody that's a that's in here today. Have you ever messed up as a Christian? Just raise your hand real quick if you've if you've ever had issues. Okay, just want to check. Did Steve raise his hand? <laughs> yeah, yeah HC raised his hand. Trust me. Okay. Come sit by our HC, quick. Sit by. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, will he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is lost? And if it turns out that he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your father who is in heaven for one of these little ones to perish. Now, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. How do you do it again? I mean, let me try this one more time. How do you do it? In private. Yeah. This isn't always how it works. A lot of times we use our brother's faults and make them public. You know why we do it? To make ourselves look better. These men came with accusation against Christ and all he did, we don't know what he wrote, but he wrote something on the ground and he looks at them and says, hey, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And what do we find them doing? They all walked away. If you find your brother in sin, if you have fault, you go to private. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that on the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, he is to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector who, by the way, they didn't care for back then. Our job is not to bring accusation against our brothers and sisters. Our job is to bring grace to our brothers and sisters. If they don't listen, then we gather two or three more that we know are good, solid, godly people. And we go to those people again and we say to them, here's where we're struggling with your behavior. Here's the fault that you have. There's a method. And in that, there's grace given. Do you know what we're called to do? We're actually called to be light of the world, not judge of the world. I'm going to read this to you in Matthew 5, 13 through 20. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salt again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. Folks, that is why you must watch your testimony. This is why you and I must watch our life. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in, are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. Your lamp, your, your lamp, your light is to shine. We're to be visible. We're to, we're to draw people to Christ. Like a moth to a flame, we should become very, very open with our faith. Do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until it is accomplished. So some of you may say, well, then why didn't he stone her? Why didn't they actually do what the law said and bring both people? Don't don't blame Christ for this. He he showed grace in all this. Therefore, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you something. The scribes and the Pharisees were very, very religious, but they had zero grace. Zero understanding of who Christ was. So, what did they do? They just became angry and bitter because they weren't getting their way. I've been to a few business meetings in the Baptist church, I've listened to a few Pharisees sitting in those meetings. And I've watched churches broken in half because somebody didn't have grace. Instead, they were just right in their own mind. You may not like how I'm going to put this, but it's the truth. I've met Christians whose attitude was to hell with everybody else. I'm the only one that's right. And that's exactly the attitude that sends people away from the church when you have Christians who are so right and everybody else is what? So wrong. I was at a funeral and I never will forget the preacher had such an opportunity to share Christ but instead what he shared was that everybody was going to hell but him and the few preachers that were in the room. And he asked Todd and I to stand up and he was going to, he asked all the preachers to stand up, and Todd looks over at me. He's like, do we really have to stand? <laughs> like, I'm a little embarrassed here. I was like, me too, brother. I don't, I don't know that i want to be a part of this. He had an opportunity to share grace and share the gospel, but he used the Bible as a platform to shame people. You can't shame people into Christ, by the way. One, you don't save them. And I think that's the attitude of a lot of preachers and a lot of Christians. Is It's my job to save you. No, it's not. It's your job to be a light. Christ does the saving. So if you're religious here today, but you have never experienced grace, if you're religious, but you use the Bible as your thump on other people, yeah, you you uh, you haven't surpassed the scribes and Pharisees you will not enter the kingdom of heaven according to scripture. And finally, let me close with this. Galatians. This is about the church today. Galatians chapter six, verse one says, brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in the spirit of gentleness, how are we to do it with gentleness? How do we normally do it? Not so gentle, right? Men, be honest, How good are we at being gentle? Yeah, not that great, right. Matter of fact, a lot of us look at things like, why can't you get that? Like, I get it. Why can't you get it? Well, they can't get it, apparently. But we think that if we keep telling them they should get it, that suddenly they're going to get it. Is that how that works? Or maybe if you go to a foreign country and you can't understand their language, so you yell at them. You know? You think the louder you talk, the more they're going to understand you. And slower, loud and slow, but they're going to get it eventually. Listen, we are to go to our brothers and sisters who are caught in any wrongdoing, and we're to do it with gentleness. It says, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you are not tempted as well. I don't know what Jesus wrote, but whatever he wrote, They had to look inside and they all realized from the oldest to the youngest, yeah, I have no business picking up a stone. And they just walked away. So that you are not tempted as well, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. You don't need to bring somebody else's fault and try to make them look bad. Instead, you're to go to that person who is in wrong. And you're to show grace and restoration and hope. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting. But to himself alone and not to another, for each one will bear his own load. Christian, if you today have to be the one to tell everybody how good you are, you're going against scripture. Christian, if you're one who has to use someone else's downfall to make yourself look good through the power of prayer request, you're not much of a person. My prayer today is when we come to this point of invitation that we would actually take an honest look at ourselves and just spend some time down here at this altar asking God to give us grace, to allow us to show grace to those that right now we are really struggling with. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I've never experienced grace for myself. What does that look like? Oh, come and talk to me because I want to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. But I will tell you that whatever you're struggling with, whether it be physical, spiritual, or mental, Jesus is the answer. And whatever you have in your past, you can be like the adulterous woman. And you can find a gracious Savior. And I would pray you would find a church that would show you the same kind of grace and stand with you. In spite of whatever it is you think you've done or in spite of whatever it is you have done. I want you to find a church right here at Pine Island that will stand with you and help you to walk moving forward. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you so much for your love and grace. And Father, we thank you for this opportunity to just come and make that time of commitment to you to truly just ask, Father, give us understanding of grace that we might give that to those who are hurting around us. That we won't use the Bible as the Pharisees used the law to make ourselves look better and others look bad. But instead, Father, may we truly look to you as we come alongside what you're doing in the lives of those who are hurting. And may we be a hand of compassion and grace to those in need. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.